Good morning, Calvary Chapel. Glad you're here today. As you can see, we're on Facebook ex- almost exclusively. There are some, a few people that showed up here, the rebellious ones. <laughs> came. Thank you for you guys. Yes, at least there's a few people here sitting. But we are widely dispersed. We are safe. But anyway, we are glad you're here today. And I'm so thankful for technology. I mean, we did a little worship session here before, and it was a little bit soft. And when we have our full thing going, it's just blasted out. But I'm also thankful that when we have the body of Christ together, and we're all singing and worshiping God I was sitting next to my wife, and I could hear myself sing. And I'm going, my goodness, this is awful. I mean, <laughs> when we're in our basement in our home group, it's a little confined area, and I'm just belting it out, and I'm thinking I'm doing pretty good. I did not sound good here. I know why I'm not on the worship team. Good grief. But anyway, glad you're here today. Uh, I was going to do the talk on... Salty Christians will light their world, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. And I think this is going to be a talk that I would like the whole body to be part of. You who are joining on Facebook might incorporate about half our body, so I really like to have everybody here for that talk. So on Friday, I decided to do this talk, uh, The Power of a Changed Life and the Life of Moses. Now, in this talk, I'm going to mention over and over and over that God changed you never to be the same. He changed your life. He entered into your life so that you'd be a different person with a different journey, with different goals, with a different purpose. Now, when I'm doing this talk, I want you to think of of three things. When I mention the word Egypt, you think world. When I mention the word Pharaoh, you think Satan. When I mention the nation of Israel and some of their rebelliousness, you think of flesh because they had a constant desire to go back to Egypt to go back to the old ways. Now, these are going to be some selected verses, because we're, but because we're at Calvary Chapel, I will have some verses to read to you that we can read together. So if you would, please stand for reading of the Word of God. We're in Exodus chapter 1, verses 5 through 14, and this will just give a little bit of background, but I will be expositing or, or sharing some scriptures from chapter 1, 2, and 3 this week. So, starting in verse 5, the power of a changed life, Moses. All those who were the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. Now, remember, Joseph was in Egypt. There was a plague in Egypt. Jacob and his family were able to go there and to get sustenance and survive, and that is where the nation of Israel was for 400 years in Egypt. And Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. A new thing is going to be done. Who did not know Joseph? And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if it happened in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go on up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters, heads of slave drivers over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities of Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. This is the word of God. Thank you. Thank you. Let's try that again. You few that are here. This is the word of God. This is. Oh, thank you. I got it messed up. Anyway, please be seated. So. Who is Moses? Well, he's going to be the one that God uses as the deliverer of the, of the people of Israel. God changed his life. He had a calling. He had characteristics that God saw, but they had to be developed. And they're not going to be developed in Egypt. They will be developed in his second tour, his second 40 years in the wilderness. Now, the introduction is this. How God used Egypt to build the nations. Egypt to build the nations. And again, 70 people went into Egypt. 400 years later, there's over 2 million that are taken out. The Egyptians, remember, despised the Hebrews. 
They looked at them as shepherds. They were subservient and they sequestered them to an area. They were prejudiced against them and they went up to Goshen. And if I was doing a regular teaching on this and was all prepared, I'd have a map and I'd show you where Goshen is at the top. But God protected his people by putting them in Goshen. They maintained their identity as Hebrews. That was, a, that was an amazing thing. This is people group. The Jewish people are the only people group in the history of the world that have been dispersed and maintained their identity. They were in Egypt for 400 years, but they did not become Egyptianized. They maintained their Hebrew, Hebrew roots. So that's one thing that we have to remember. And then another king arose. Now, this is a big deal because the first king under Joseph gave Joseph favor. The Pharaoh gave him favor. But, oh, this other guy arises up. And he does not know Joseph, does not know his family, could care less about him. And everything changed for the people of Israel. And I want you to think about something, how everything can change in such a short period of time. Now, you've heard me speak before, and I've mentioned this before, so this won't be new to most of you. But you know that things have changed in America over a short period of time. We know that 50, 60 years ago, prayer was taken out of schools, the Ten Commandments out of the mainstream of our culture. Abortion on demand became the law of the land. Roe v. Wade, 60 million babies have been sacrificed under the guise of women's reproductive rights. Where's the rights of the baby? That is what we cry. Then we've also approved same-sex marriage, and we've embraced transgenderism as a people, and open borders, and and, and Marxist ideologies have crept into our culture. America has changed drastically, certainly in my lifetime, and I bet even in your lifetime, in these last decade or so, one person comes in. And I believe that America, based on Judeo, its origins were on Judeo-Christian ethics and morals and values, have abandoned that. And America, in total, the masses, have gone back to Egypt back to Egypt, back to being enslaved, thinking they're free, they're enslaved. Now, what did God do with, with the nation of Israel in Egypt? He was building a, a nation, building a people group. So that's what he did there. And God used the Egypt's, Egyptians' prejudice to preserve the Jewish ethnicity and their worship of Jehovah. That is a very significant point. So the Egyptians' prejudice played into the hands of God and preserved the people of Israel. Never forget this fact, okay? Never forget this. In the worst of situations, God has a plan. In the worst of situations, God has a plan. This Pharaoh Tutmus was his name. He had a plan. He wanted to kill all the male children that were coming in. Get rid of the boys. Keep the girls. We want to decrease the population. Now, in order for the Egyptian people to do this, they had to dehumanize the, the Jewish people to some extent, to treat them and look at them as less than human. We know that Hitler did this in World War II with the Jews, but we also know that it, there was a seminal moment in 1973 when Roe v. Wade became the law of the land, and it was at that point that science dehumanized the baby in the womb. What do I mean by that? There was a guy at that time named Ernest Heckel. He was a German biologist. And again, this was the science in 1973. And they went on this thing called re recapitulation phylogeny, where the embryo repeats its evolutionary phase over the way evolution has occurred in the world. That's their belief, not our belief, okay? And he says this, at various points, an emergent human is a fish, a frog, and finally a fetus. And people believe that. <laughs> and that was the science that promoted our Roe v. Wade. Now think about that. Now today we know unequivocally that life takes, takes, takes shape or, or comes in, 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 into place the moment the egg and the sperm unite. There a baby is started. And we know this ultrasound, very early the baby is developed. So that science today is totally ignored as we literally murder millions of babies. Now, notice what happened in Egypt. Why did Pharaoh, Pharaoh's plan fail to kill the babies? Remember the story in verse 17 through 19, chapter 1? We read this, but the midwives, watch this, 
feared God and did not do as the king commanded. We have a mandate in our culture to fear God over whoever the king is. We have a mandate as Christians to do what God has told us to do, even if the government is telling us to do something different. We are to be great citizens. We are to pay our taxes and do everything that the government wants us to do to a point. When it tells us something contrary to the word of God, we can't. And this was contrary to the word of God. They feared God, Yahweh, had an awesome respect for God. So they could not kill the Hebrew children. And then they gave the reasoning to Pharaoh that, oh, they're so healthy that we can't get there to deliver them in time. So they're born, they're born alive, and they're already living, and so we can't kill them. So he wanted these kids actually coming out of the womb and immediately thrown into the Nile. But if they were able to survive for a few hours or so, then they allowed them to live. Pharaoh didn't like that. What Pharaoh did is then he, then he had his people, his own countrymen, take these babies and throw them into the Nile River. They were complicit with the murder of all those Hebrew children. They can't say, well, Pharaoh just told me to do it, therefore I had to obey him. Just like Hitler's henchmen could not say, Hitler told me to do it, to throw these people in the gas chamber. Everyone has to own their own actions. Their own actions. So, remember this. These women's lives, these heroes of the story, these midwives, they had their life changed by God. Changed lives will not obey an ungodly edict. We cannot. The world does not understand that. We cannot obey an ungodly edict. This is important for us today as citizens of the, of the United States. Now, I want you to think about something. Think about people that we have studied in the Bible that would not obey an ungodly edict. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you remember in, in uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was the king? And Nebuchadnezzar made an idol, a statue of himself. And he paraded this statue all through his kingdom. And any time the musical instruments went off, everybody had to bow down. But there were three Hebrew slaves that said, no, we will not bow. And you know what happened? People told on them, just like we see today. People tell on you, that you just like Hitler, just like, like Jan Vogel telling on the ten booms, turning them in. People told on them, and they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's in a rage. He's in a rage, and he says, if you do not bow down, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And you know the story. This is such incredible language. Watch what these men say. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of the steel of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say this, O Nebuchadnezzar, this is to the most powerful man in the world. They see the fiery furnace. They know that they're going to go into that. And they are, they are not moved. They're going to be loyal to their God. If that is the case, you're going to throw us in. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king. I love how they just, O king. <laughs> that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image that you have set up. They had a firm conviction that they weren't going to disobey God's edict and, and take Nebuchadnezzar's over God's. They made a decision, and they made it in advance. They made it in advance. That is an important point. Now, I want you to think about this. We are being called to stand more and more. In Canada, pastors are being put in jail. Pastors are being told that they cannot teach certain things from the pulpit. In order to not go to jail or to have your church open, you have to agree not to teach these things. Most of it's about homosexuality and that sort of thing. And pastors in Canada are saying, no, we cannot do that. Government, we cannot do that. So they're suffering the boot of Canada right now. That is our neighbor. That is somebody that we are very much like. Very much like. So don't think that can't happen here. What are we to do? What are we to do when our lives are changed? We cannot obey the edicts of the government. So what does Scripture say in 1 Corinthians 16, chapter 13 and 14? Watch. Watch what's going on around you. Stand fast. 
Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. Watch. Stand fast. That's telling me to see, to judge, and to act. To see what is going on in the culture. To make a judgment of what's going on in the culture. And make an action. And speak the truth. And live the truth for your God. Now, Exodus chapter 2 will be Moses' first 40 years in the wilderness. Or first 40 years of life. And his verses 1 through 10. Notice that there are 10 verses that are allocated to his first 40 years. His second 40 years is going to be about 13 verses or so that are allocated to it. In his last 40 years, there are 38 chapters about Moses and God and the deliverance. God does not care about your early messy life in the world. He cares about your time with him. So what we see is that Moses is going to be given birth. And the mom's name is Jochebed, chapter 2, verse 1. The dad's name is Amron. He was a daughter of, uh, they were Levites. And Moses was a beautiful baby hidden by his mom. After three months, Moses is getting too big to hide. Somebody's going to squeal. So what does, what does Jochebed do? Makes a little ark of bulrushes. And you know the story so well. Puts him in the Nile, and lo and behold, where does Moses just happen to float? Right by Pharaoh's daughter, who must have been right at the plum age of wanting to have children. And here comes Moses just floating through, and he cries right on time. (laughs) I bet it wasn't one of those irritating, piercing, "Ah!" might not have been so appealing to him, to her. But I bet it was just this little... (laughs) type of thing. And then she just says, oh, I'm going to take this baby. And she she goes against her father's decree to kill the babies. And watch this. Miriam, Moses' sister, is watching this whole thing. And Miriam makes a suggestion to Pharaoh's daughter, you might need someone to nurse the baby. So what does God do in his providence? The mom, Jochebed, gets to be the, the wet nurse for Moses. I mean, for three to five years, she has input into Moses' life. That's only God can do that. Moses is raised in Pharaoh's household, but she, he has input from a mom that is a Hebrew, telling him about the Hebrew God. Moses must have learned reading and writing and arithmetic and languages of the Canaanites and that sort of thing. He learned how Egypt worked. He learned how to rule. He was being primed for rulership. He was totally immersed in Egypt, in the world system. Moses had a problem. It is this. As a young adult, it'll come up on the screen, Moses did not know who he really was. He did not know his calling. All he knew was Egypt. All he knew was the ways of the world. Moses knew Egypt, and Egypt knew Moses. That's how we are in the world. Oh, we can navigate through the world. And the world knows us quite well. What do all people immersed in Egypt need? Immersed in the world need? A change life. A change life. You're going to hear this like a thousand times in this talk. A change life. Not the same. A change life. Now, what does God think about your time in the world? See, the world extols itself. We have the Academy Awards. We have the Emmys. We have all these sports figures. We have everybody being, all these accolades for for, for people that are in the world and the things that they accomplish. But God looks at it quite differently. God almost ignores those first 40 years. Ten verses. Ten verses. And Moses grows up, and he, I believe, having input from his mother, sees a Hebrew and an Egyptian fighting. He kills the Egyptian, tries to hide him in the sand, but his crime is discovered, and Pharaoh wants to kill him. So Moses has to flee. Moses has to flee. God is in the process of changing Moses' life. And he uses this murder, really what Moses did, to have Moses get out of Egypt. Now, where does Moses go? He goes into the wilderness. Never forget this, folks. There's a principle here. God is in the business of changing lives 
He never saves you to stay the same. God is in the process of changing Moses' life. That was actually to be before this. And God is in the business of changing lives. He never leaves you the same. Moses' second 40 years in the wilderness. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 24. 40 years. 40 years in the desert. He runs into to, 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 to these women that are getting water at a well. They're being harassed by other shepherds. And Moses comes to the rescue. Now watch what happens in Moses' life. Everything changes. He meets Jethro, the father of one of the women. He's given Zipporah, one of those women, as a wife. She has a, a son named Gershom. And then for 40 years, he shepherds in the wilderness. From Egypt, from the penthouse of Egypt, he goes all the way into the wilderness where everything is dry, everything is barren. He has none of the world's stuff. He is in the wilderness. The principle is this. It will take a God, it will take God's power to change your life to get Egypt out of you. We don't do this volitionally. We're too comfortable in the world. God has to do something, and usually he ratchets up the, the tension, the pressure in your lives. Change does not happen in humans by wishing and hoping and promising. I promise to do better. I promise to do good. I promise I'll never, ever do this again. Oh, really? Oh, really? No, you need, you need, you need a God change. And there are many people that are stuck in Egypt. They're stuck in their past life. They're stuck in their flesh. Think about this. The pull of drugs, of porn, food addiction, gossip, stealing, compromise, fear. You can't get out of the hole of life. You are in this pit and you can't get out of the Egypt hole is what I want to call it. And we have this picture, this, this, notice this, this lady has fingernail. If, if you had this in color, this is painted fingers. So this is a lady in here and she's trying to crawl her way out of the Egyptian pit. She can't, she gets right to the top and then slips back down again. And in the next picture, what do humans need? We need a ladder. We need a way out. Now, who do you think the ladder might be? It might be Jesus, huh? Jesus, yes. You need the ladder. But notice, Jesus comes to rescue you out of the Egyptian pit of the world. But what do you have to do? you got to grab on to that ladder, don't you? Yet all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You must receive. You must start climbing that ladder. You must take Jesus in to get out of the Egyptian hole. And that's what we have to do to have a life that has changed. In the wilderness, God is getting Egypt out of you. And I would suggest that every person that really is a fervent follower of Christ have had their time in the wilderness. It takes time alone with God. You need to discover your purpose in life. Discover who God really is. And after you've been in the wilderness, Egypt is no longer attractive. You know who's attractive? Your God is attractive. Obeying Him is attractive. You have a transformed life. God is in the process of changing Moses, making him usable for a great task. Never forget, God is in the business of changing our lives. He never saves you to stay the same, and He uses life situations to change us. That is how it works. The last 40 years, Exodus chapter 3 through 40, 38 chapters, how a changed life can impact the world. Moses is 80 years old. Now, at age 80, what are you ready to do? Well, in our culture, you're ready to die. But anyway, he, at least he would be retired. At least he's retired. He's all done. He's done all the Sunday school classes he can possibly do. He's done all the stuff he wants. No, at age 80, he's just getting started. And I think there's something we can think about here. It's never too late to start with God, and it's never too late to do what is right. Never too late to do what is right. God will not give up on you. Don't give up on him. The principle, God is the initiator in changing your life. God is pursuing you. Beware of something. When God is pursuing you, we often use flesh excuses. 
Beware of flex flesh excuses. Moses said this to God, get someone else, anybody but me. And I want to talk to you about the flesh excuses. Watch this slide. Now, this is the flesh excuses. Notice that it's always something that's tugging on you, tugging on you, tugging on you. The flesh never wants you to advance, always wants you to stay in the past, always wants you to go back to the old ways. That is your flesh tugging on you. The next slide, stop making excuses, start making changes. Let me say that again. <laughs> For you who have, might have drifted, stop making excuses, start making changes. We don't have any excuse as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to stay where we are. It's all about a journey of growth. It's all about a journey of growth. Now, let's talk about Moses and how he came in contact with God. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 is where it is recorded. And he runs into something quite strange. I want to suggest to you something. In the desert, the Judean desert, it's dry, there's no humidity, and oftentimes there's spontaneous combustion that happens with these little brush piles that are there. So they have this one of these spontaneous combustions, and you can't see it very well on this slide. It'll look a lot better before we put it up here. But anyway, they, they, the fire comes. Now, in Moses' situation, the fire was not consumed. It was not consumed. This was strange. Moses had probably seen this many, many times in the desert. Poof, and it goes up. Poof, and it goes up, and it goes out, okay? But this one was not consumed. And he runs into God in verse 2, and the angel of the Lord. Now, that is Jesus Christ. When you see the angel of the Lord, this is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, appeared to him in the flame of the fire from the midst of the bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside now, and I'm going to look at this great... I'm going to investigate this. This is something different. This has got my attention. So then the Lord saw that he turned to decide to look at God, and he called to him from the midst of the bush. Now, would this not be shocking to you? Moses! Moses! The bush is crying out your name. Now, that would rock your world. And I, I think it did Moses. Do not draw near this place, Moses. Take the sandals off your feet. This is holy ground. And then he introduces himself. I am the God that you have heard about, that your mother has taught you about. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm introducing myself to you. God is the initiator in the relationship with every human to change you from old you to new you. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. This is not a casual thing. Hey, when God comes into your life, when he manifests himself in a special way, there is no arrogance. There is no hubris. There is no, oh, look how wonderful and great I am. There is bowing before him. You're flat on your face, tremulous fear, because he is holiness just pierces your being. It pierces your being. So we have that, and watch what he says. He says, I've seen what's going on in Egypt, the taskmasters and that sort of thing. I've come down to deliver. Notice, God is going to come down and deliver. Not Moses. God is going to deliver. He will use Moses. And then he tells them something. I'm going to send you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, he's in the desert. This sounds like a great place. But then God fills in the blanks. There's people groups in this land. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. They're all in the land. Now, Moses must be thinking, really? I'm going to go from here to that land where we got to deal with all those people? That doesn't sound so good to me. And that doesn't stop there. God then tells Moses, by the way, I want you to go back and talk to Pharaoh. Now, the first one didn't sound so good. The second one doesn't sound so good. So what does Moses do? He reverts to what we all revert to. Not me, God. Send somebody else. So he starts making excuses. Excuse number one is this. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out? Who am I? Who am I? And God says, I'll certainly be with you. That's not enough. This one that's in the bush, this one that just rocked his world, I will be with you. But no, that's not enough. I can't deal with going back to 
I can't do, deal with going back to Pharaoh. Then Moses said to God, indeed, another excuse, when I come to the children of Israel and they say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they say to me, what is his name? What do I call you? And he, God says this, I am. I am who I am. I am God. John picks up on this in his teaching in the book of John. And he has the seven I am's. Remember, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger and never thirst. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives up his life for the sheep. This is all Jesus being the I am, the ego am I. That refers right back to Exodus chapter 3. Jesus is telling him, I am that one that was doing all this stuff in the, in the, in the burning bush. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine and you are the branches. And each one of these statements, he's telling these people, I am the second person of the Trinity. I am God incarnate. I am your deliverer. I am your only way. And he says this over, I am the one that will deliver you. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Excuse number three is chapter four, verse one. But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. God says, here's a rod. Throw the rod down, it'll become a snake. And they're going to see that. And that isn't enough. He says, put your hand in your bosom. Take it out. It becomes leprous. Put it back in, take it out, it becomes clean. And then he says, if they won't believe then, you pour some water on the ground and it will turn to blood. And then Moses goes, oh, okay, that might convince them. So I have something else, God. Verse 10, then Moses said, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. I am not eloquent. Don't send me, I can't speak. And then, and then and the fifth one is verse 13, when Moses finally gets to the crux of the matter. Send anybody but me. Anybody but me. He has had it. Send anybody. And now God has had it up to here with Moses. And he makes this statement. The anger of the Lord was kindled against against Moses. And he, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And then he says, Look, he's coming. Think about that. Forty years in the wilderness. He has not seen his brother. And all of a sudden, his brother decides to visit in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. He's finding Moses you don't think God directed this whole thing at that very moment of time? This guy leaves, he leaves where he was, he comes into the desert and he finds Moses. I mean, this is an amazing thing. This is no coincidence. And then they say, and then Moses finally gives in in verse 17, and God says this, you're just going to go. Okay, you're just going to go, enough of this. And in verse 18, so Moses capitulates. And Moses went, excuse after excuse after excuse. That's what our flesh does. Makes excuse after excuse after excuse why we won't follow our God. God never saves you to be the same, to be the same. He never does that. He will not leave Moses a shepherd. Moses has changed and he will lead the exodus. Moses is, a, is great because Moses' God is great. That's why Moses is great. You know the story of the ten plagues. They deal with the ten gods of, of the Egyptians, and God is going to say, I'm superior to every one of them. And he does the blood, frogs, lice, fies, locusts, livestock, hail, boils, darkness, death. He hits each one of them. But remember this. Remember this. When God is dealing with the false gods of the world, when God is dealing with your life, God does this. He provides for and God protects his people. It's what he's doing with the nation of Israel here. He provides for and he protects his people. God provides for and protects his people today. He does. We know the story. In Exodus chapter 11, the death angel comes by. and Whoever does not put the blood on the doorpost and the lentil, they are going to be destroyed. The destroying angel will kill them. And we know that those who place the blood there are going to be safe. And we have a picture of the blood and the door. Remember, Jesus said, I am the door. I am the Holy One that can give you life. His blood 
is the one that saves us. His blood will allow the death angel to pass over us. His blood allows us to never be separated from God. I am the door. Your life is painted with the blood of Christ. Listen to this. A changed life starts when the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, comes into your life. This sacrificial blood is applied to you individually. You are cleansed from all of your sins and you become a new person. Jesus' blood is applied to you and no death will come your way. Remember uh, John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me, listen to this, will never die. Do you believe that, Martha? Yeah, yeah, we believe that. You're never separated from God. See, death is not non-existence. Death is separation from God. It's exactly what that is. We had the ten plagues witnessed. Look at all, all the things that the nation of Israel witnessed, and they still want to go back to Egypt. Watch this. The ten plagues, all of them witnessed by the Hebrews. They also were led by the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. They saw Pharaoh's army destroyed in the Red Sea. You remember, the army is chasing the nation of Israel. They are trapped at the Red Sea. The people turn on Moses and want to kill Moses, and God intervenes, and he puts a pillar. He puts the Shekinah glory of God between Pharaoh's army. You think Pharaoh would get the hint? Something powerful is going on here. Maybe go back. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's like, he's like Satan. He just wants to gobble up the people of God. And now Moses, Rod, Red Sea separates, and they go over on dry ground. And they get over to safety, and Pharaoh goes, oh. I mean, you talk about you know, no IQ. I mean, this is water's all piled up, the Shekinah glory of God, and then Pharaoh just goes, okay, I guess I'll chase him. You think God's not at work in that guy's brain? And he just goes into the Red Sea, and then the water goes, Phew. and washing up on the shore are swords, spears, shields, and they get onto the promised land as an armed group of people. That's our God. While in the promised land, he provides them with manna. He provides them with water from the rock. All miracles of God, over and over and over. He gives them the Ten Commandments, Moses' the Ten Commandments on the mountain. And they get to the promised land. It could have been a couple months' journey. But oh no, they get to the promised land. They send in the 12 spies. Ten of them say no, and two of them say go. And they decided that they would, they're going to have more fear of the giants in the land then they do God's protection. They put their fear over God's protection. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and the result is 40 years to take a two-month journey. 40 years in the wilderness. What is wrong with people? What is wrong with the people of Israel? It's the same thing with us. They did not have a changed heart. Their heart was still in Egypt. They were not seeing the power of God. In conclusion, Moses had the power of a changed life. A changed life. And folks, so do you. You were saved. You were given the Holy Spirit of the living God. You have the power, the, most, the greatest power in the world resides in you. To overcome anything, to do anything, to accomplish anything that God asks you to do. God uses all of your life experiences. Now hear this. The good, the bad, the ugly of life. He uses all of them to prepare you to serve him. His goal, change. He changes you. 80 years of preparation. 40 years to be the deliverer of Israel. God never saves you to stay the same. Hear this. All the accolades of the world mean zip to God. Then zip to a person changed by God. God is not impressed by your title. God is not impressed if you're a CEO of a company. God is not impressed if you're a president of the, of the, of the United States or a king in some country or a governor or a mayor or a, whoever you are. He's not impressed by that. The time in Egypt is a blip, a blip in Scripture compared to his time with God. All the pomp and circumstance of the world could not attract 
Moses, the man of God, once he was in leading God's people. Look what the world does. When someone in the world dies, that is, that the world extols, let's say a Hollywood person, a politician, a sports figure, it's front page. When a man or woman of God dies, it doesn't make anything. But God, it's a big deal for his people to die. You know what it says in Scripture? Precious. Timios. Precious in the sight of God. Yakar in the Hebrew. Precious in the sight of God is the passing of one of his saints. See, if you're not one of his saints, that's not precious to him. It's sad to him, actually. But it's precious when his people die. But the world doesn't recognize it that way. The world doesn't recognize it. God never saves you to stay the same. We don't care about the pomp and the circumstance of the world. All whose lives have been changed have the power to stand against the immoral tsunami of our culture. Not one single born-again believer in Jesus Christ can say, I can't take this. You, can, you might not be able to take it, but the power that, re, that resides within you allows you to stand when you can't. That's the deal. Ephesians 6.13, remember, says this about the armor of God. Having done everything to stand. Stand your ground. Don't be pushed around by the culture. Don't be pushed around by the world. Stand your ground. We're not to be abrasive with them, but we are not to be moved. We're not going to compromise our values. We will not do that. We want to stand like Peter did, Paul did, John did, Polycarp. I mentioned John Huss. His name means goose. And he was burned at the stake. And that's where we got the, got the saying, your goose is cooked. Isn't that interesting? Your goose is cooked. Nero persecution. They, they, the Christians were lighted up. They did not recant. Diedrich Bonhoeffer stood strong through Hitler's Holocaust. Folks, there's a time when we have to stand against the world. The world that disregards the scriptures as being valuable. Who say the scriptures are the same as the Quran or the Hindu Vedas or Buddha's writings. They are not the same. The scriptures are the word of the living God. Those scriptures come from a false gods. False gods meant to take people away. We have a world that wants us to embrace multiple ways to God. A world that wants us to defame God-ordained marriage between one man and one woman for life and to embrace multiple ways of, of family life. No, there's one way, and it's God's way. A world that has thrown God out of government and schools. A world that does not want us to stand for truth. Does not want us to stand for our faith. Folks, we got to dig in with our gospel shoes and stand for what is right. Stand against the tsunami of the world. The ten booms stood, didn't they? We learned that last time. Corey and... and in Ravensbrook, Betsy in Ravensbrook dives. The dad died at early, early on. They saw something. They, the see, judge, and act was, was at work in their lives, and it must be in work in us. God saves you, folks. He saves you to never be the same. He gives you the power to stand. And please know this. A changed life. How you know your life has really been changed is that you will own your sin. You will own your sin. This is a big thing. It's a, it's a sign that you're growing in God. It's a sign that you're dwelling in Christ. I'm not making excuses for my sin. God never saves you to be the same. Confess your sin. Don't rationalize your sin. Don't hide your sin. God is so open. I mean, he is not like us. I mean, somebody sins against us and we want to poke him. But with God, if you confess your sins, his arms are wide open. He will grab you, hold you, give you the biggest bear hug you've ever... He's not, he's not vengeful like that. He will take you back in a, in a second. You're never saved to be the same. Don't use Egypt don't, as your model and make excuses. Make God your model and confess your sin. You must know you're living in a world that will do all it can to thwart your changed life. Do you know that? The world will do everything it can to work against your changed life. We're living in the kingdom of darkness. 
that is run by the king of darkness, that would be Satan. What does the king of darkness want to do? Keep you blinded. Keep you deceived. Keep you distracted. There's never been more distraction in the history of the world than now. Look at how much distraction did Moses have in the wilderness? I mean, can you imagine his day? It's a big day if you can throw a stone at something of a sling and hit, hit a rock or hit a, hit, a, hit a bush or something. That's your day. That's the highlight of your day. I mean, he wasn't a lot distracted. He had a lot of time with God. God must deliver you from the glitz of the, of the world. God must deli- deliver you in this culture from the glitz of casinos, from the glamour of Hollywood, from the glory of money and things. Don't let the things of this world distract you. Do not fall for the distraction. Stay on task. And folks, might I say this? Even more as we see the day approaching. We know it's getting worse. We know we're going towards a one-world government. We know we're going towards globalism. You are going to not have paper money soon. It's all going to be digital. It's all going to be you know, put in a computer. It's going to take that whole thing away. It's all going towards a one-world government. God did not save you to be the same. We are to stand for truth in this culture. For all who are struggling, for those who are born again, know this, the Holy Spirit power within you is within you to live out this changed life. It's not you, it's God. I didn't put this in the notes, but I probably should have. You have three power sources that I've mentioned multiple times, so hopefully you have this memorized by now. If you don't, I'll help you again. You have the dunamis power of God. Remember in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. God's dunamis power, his capable power, is given to every believer to accomplish the task he's given you. That's number one. You also have his karatos power. K-R-A-T-O-S, power. Put that in your memory banks. And that is the power to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. You can say no to the porn. You can say no to the drugs. You can say no to the alcohol. You can say no to the gossip. You can say no to whatever thing you have to say no to. And you have the third thing, the exousia of God. E-X-O-U-S-I-A. That is the authority of God to function within the culture as his representative. You are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though he was making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be brought back into right relationship with God. That is our job, to engage the culture. You'll hear this more next week when we're talking about salt, or next time we're talking about salt. Revelation 5.10 tells us that we have a very special calling. In the future, God is going to, we are going to be kings and priests forever. And the millennial kingdom will be reigning with God. God doesn't save you to be the same. God did not save you to be mediocre. He did not save you to be mediocre. He saved you to be great for him, for his glory, in his honor. The power of a changed life includes, includes a change in where I go in my life, what I do with my life, and who I hang out with in my life. It changes everything. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked will lead them astray. Your old friends aren't going to like your change. They're not going to like it. The world's not going to like your change. But you know who's going to really fight against your change the most? Me, myself, and I of the flesh. Who always wants to go back to Egypt. Always wants to go back to the old ways. Always wants the old, not the new. Do not feed your old friend the flesh. Starve the flesh. Feed the spirit. Do not hang out with the old group. Your flesh wants to be pampered. Your flesh wants to be powdered. Your flesh wants the same way over and over and over. You have the Kratos power 
to tell Mr. Flesh no. 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 Walk in the Spirit, folks, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You weren't saved to be the same person. God never saves you to stay the same. Like Moses, God changed Moses. Like you, God changed you. God truly has given to you the power to live a changed life. You are not powerless. Know who you are. You're a child of God. You are the bride of Christ. You're a son of God and daughter of God. Know who you are. He never saves you to remain the same. Now it's up to you to walk in what you know. You know that you have the power. And I want you to leave you with this picture. Jesus changed my life. Jesus was not just a little addendum to my life, a little hook on to my life. Jesus changes everything. Everything. Look, at when you come in, there's too many people. I like what Jason says. We're, we're doing a disservice to those that we love, that we come in contact with. When we pat them on the back, tell them they're okay, as they're streaking towards hell. I am remembering that. Thank you, Jason. He's going to give a talk next week, but thank you for that. Because I, that is changing the way I interact with people. When I see somebody, I take a pause and I say, okay, God, I'm just going to tell them. Boom. I'm not going to soft soap it. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. They already think we're crazy. They already think we're weird. Just let them think that. We have a life-saving message. The old you is dead. The new you is alive and well. And folks, I want to say, press on. Press on. Press on. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to, to delve into the word of God. Thank you for the life of Moses. Lord, he made a lot of excuses. He started out, did not want to do it, didn't want to go like, like we do. But he ended up after his wilderness following, following, following. After the excuses came the power to carry out the task. And I thank you, Lord, for his life. And I thank you that you saved him and you saved us. You saved us for a purpose. You saved us for a reason to not be the same person. I can't impact the world as the same person as I was. My job is to impact the world, to be salt and light in this world. Not to blend with the world, not to be like the world, not to be kind to the world, not to be chummy with the world, but that the world knows that we have been with our God and encouraging them to come out of darkness into the light so that they can live forever. Lord, may we have the courage to give that message, to not just tap people on the back as they're on their way to hell, but tell them the truth about what believing in Jesus really is. Help us. Give us the courage, Lord. You, you, you have given it to us. May we use it. In Jesus' name, amen.